Hi, my name is Sarah, and I love your podcast, and I love your voice, so I wanted to reply with a voice message myself. Um, I'm a creative project manager, and believe it or not, a lot of the discussions and training about information gathering, intelligence, building rapport, communication, uh, lie deception, negotiation, all apply daily to my job creating emails and websites for cosmetics and beauty. Um, So my challenge is that I am working from my kitchen with a lot of millennials and not to be ageist. However, we know there are generational differences in communication and the perception of value of different kinds of communication. I have difficult personalities. I am not present with them to read their body language, their unspoken communication or do the same with them. So how can I build rapport with difficult personalities by text message? Because it's a real thing. Well, hey, Sarah, I like your voice too, but enough flirting. Not really. Okay. So I'm going to answer your question for everybody out there. Just like I always do, I'm going to answer the question of the listener, but I'm also going to throw in some things they may not have asked for, may not even entirely agree with what they're looking for to help the thousands of you that listen to this, because some of you out there are going to want to use this. So first thing is to understand a little bit about the history of modern technology as far as communication goes. Before we had texting in the regular public eye, we had emails. And the problem with emails was people didn't know how to use them. They were used to writing letters, physical letters. So for some of the younger listeners, it was very common to handwrite a letter or type it, but usually handwritten, put it in an envelope or stamp on it, and it got to your pen pal or grandma or whoever sometime later. So that's not an uncommon thing. That still happens today. When people originally communicate through emails, it was much like texting. In fact, when things like AOL started with chat rooms, people had longer, more in-depth conversations like texting, but more what emails became later on. Eventually, when texting came out, it wasn't used all that much, and it was used as kind of intended and for convenience of communicating short messages. That had nothing to do with the fact that it all had non-digital screens that were push-button numbers, and so you'd have to push certain numbers more than once to get that letter. That wasn't the reason people didn't use it. It was just new, and people communicated much simpler. When smartphones came out and we had the electronic keyboards, it was a lot easier to fat-finger that with your thumbs, especially guys that were used to playing video games or whatever. They were used to using small things with their hands, could do it. And it kind of advanced from there. Now we're in a role where everything kind of pushes past each other, where not as many people writing emails anymore, especially outside the professional world. They're mostly just getting emails and a lot of junk, and people are having full-fledged conversations on text, which is dangerous. So first and foremost, nobody really in the professional world texts for business. I understand why you're asking this question, but I would suggest people out there look at a solid email game plan and using email as your primary form of communication. It's a lot more advantageous, it's a lot simpler, and a lot less room for confusion and misinterpretation. Texting can cause problems. It is a brilliant way to miscommunicate. If you talk to me in person about this subject, you listen to this podcast, talk to you on the phone, not just face-to-face, I email you about it and I text you about it, they could very well sound like different people. It's very common. The thing with texting is look at experience you had or other people had with anything that was negative or taken badly, or like relationship stuff. Same thing as like comments on Twitter, because most texts are actually about that length or shorter. It's very quick and easy to screw that up. It's very dangerous. 
I'm going to give you some advice on what to do here because I've had to do this, but I want to make sure we got the full picture here of understanding that it's generally a bad idea. There are way better, simpler options out there that are far more advantageous, especially for businesses, but this can be done. The other thing is, is it's your company, your business, whatever it is, you get to dictate how people communicate to you. You have clients or customers to serve, no matter what kind of business anybody's in, but that doesn't mean they get to dictate to you how you run your business. So if somebody can't do something as simple as use email, then that's a problem, and it's their problem, not yours. Here's why. Most of them are using phones. The exact same method used to type and communicate versus text is the exact same done through an email. The only issue they might hang up they have is they want this immediate response. Well, you're not required. Nobody's required to be sitting there on the edge of the seat answering every text. I can take away from time. That's part of the reason why email's there. Some people want that and get upset when they don't respond immediately. So be aware of that, number one. Number two, with emails, it buys you some time to sit down and do your email time. So those are things that we need to understand about these forms of communication. Very dangerous. Very easy to misunderstand. Very easy to get into long, drawn-out conversations to try to clarify things, even if they're not negative. Once it starts taking up just the full screen of your phone and that's all that's there, that's way too much for a text, whereas that'd be very simple in an email. So that being said, there are things we can do. Some of these are basic report building principles, but they're just in the same way that we can misunderstand things very easily. We can actually get through to people and build a little rapport doing the most impersonal and practical method possible in order to gain that advantage that we're looking for. So understand like if somebody came into a store and said, Hey, do you have this item? And you're like, no, sorry. That's a very common response. And a lot of times that's considered acceptable. Some people might call it room. Some people wouldn't. But if you responded to that question in the text and said, no, sorry. And there was nothing else there. Most people will guaranteed get offended by it or send you some nasty response. Well, I guess you don't want my business. People don't say that in person. The reason why isn't because there are cowards in person. I mean, most people do want to avoid those situations. But in the moment, it's just so easy to misinterpret that and run with it and to just react. And it, that's why it's, it's so delicate of a situation. But things to do are to do a lot of reading on how to communicate effectively in the business world, especially by email. Take some of those tidbits, but not all of them, because you can't do things like certain type of targeting and scheduling and things can't really be done with texting. But there are things you can do. One option is if you have a website where you can have a chat feature that you can communicate with people there, you can gain a lot of simplicity and advantages of email but get the instantaneous interaction of a text. That would be a happy medium. That would be something to do, especially if it's a chat system where you can receive those messages and then check them later if that happened to be the situation you need to be in. And then you could say, hey, I just saw your message. Here's what time it is. I'm going to be online tomorrow at this time. You can contact me then or I'll, I'll try to send you another message, something like that. That being said, any promises of communication or things that you make like that that sound like promises or could be interpreted that way, you may write them down and put them in a scheduler and have an alarm, a calendar, whatever that tells you exactly when you're going to fall through with that. When you make those kind of commitments, you will lose customers if you don't follow through on this. Part of this is to say this is the same thing happened when we would work sources. 
is things like people making promises because you actually should never should make promises. But if you need to schedule something, then you need to actually schedule and follow up. The other thing is understanding building rapport is the most important thing in this world. The things I used to do in order to maintain that communication, and that's what we're looking for. We were trying to get more information from them. You're trying to get a customer. You're either trying to get a customer or maintain a customer. And the thing is, maintaining a customer doesn't mean they shop with you again. They might just say something good about you somewhere else. And in this world, getting canceled is so easy, but also positive reviews and praise are so easy. And most people just do what they're told and believe what they're told. They don't take the time to look into it. So you're trying to maintain that customer. Another thing is you're talking to a person. When you meet somebody, whether you've talked to them or not, you meet them in person the first time. One of the things we have are introductions and we use names, usually first names, unless they have a professional way they want to be addressed. And typically that person will tell you if you know if you fail to do whatever their expectation is. The thing that's important to note about that is when you're texting, you're not going to have that introduction, but you're going to have their name. So when you're meeting in person, one of the things that's taught to people is to use their name three, four times in order to help you remember their name. So you want to make sure that when you communicate to them directly on a text, you use their name. That shows that you're paying attention. You've identified them as a person, not a customer. They're an individual. They're a human and they have value. And you've recognized the fact that you know who they are. People don't always think about that if you don't do it in the exact opposite, like you failed to do that. But when you identify them like that, it resonates with them, that they are identified as a person and a human and that you value them as an individual. You don't want to start off every sentence or every paragraph, and I would caution you writing more in a paragraph. I would say keep your text links to like the character limit similar on Twitter or shorter. But you want to, you want to do that. Number two, when you have a business, you don't want to make errors in grammar and spelling. So what I tell people is, even if you're going to text, best thing you could do is like when I do it, especially if it's professional, I'm actually using my computer because my text messages will run through there. It's easier for me to type on that than a phone, but what I will do is I will have a document over, like uh, I, I'll use uh, you know pages or something, but you might have Word, whatever. Something where you can pre-write it, run a spell check, make sure the grammar's straight. It only takes a few extra seconds. You can put it in there, paste it in there, and send them the response. Because people take notice of those types of errors and even subconsciously see it as unprofessional, lack of caring. Some people take it personally as though you don't care enough about them as a person to make sure you know how to use an apostrophe or which spelling of there to use. So that that's another thing that's very important. Because it's a business, you want to be professional, so don't make those mistakes. Another thing to look at is if you're going to do that is how you're going to do it and the time frame you're going to do it in. Just like people that are addicted to their phone, which especially young people today, they get so addicted to this idea of people instantaneously responding. It's bigger than what we used to call the microwave mentality. They want it instantly. You're going to lose a lot of time doing that. So one of the things is like it's known in the corporate world, when you send emails out to customers, usually midweek, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday is the biggest time that emails work, tend to get the interaction because people are usually at work or in the middle of what they call their work week, even if they're stay at home. And that's when they tend to be doing that stuff. They tend to ignore them on weekends unless, you know, customers reaching out to you on Sunday and you're choosing to interact with it then. I would not only pick the days in which you're going to communicate that, I would also pick the time frames, whether it's all day or just for a couple hours, or I'm available to be communicated through by text Monday through Friday, 
9 a.m. to 10.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, as an example. Come up with that that's going to work with you so you can dedicate a time for it. That lets people know that you've found it important enough to schedule the time, but are so are busy enough you just can't respond to everybody willy-nilly without saying that. They will subconsciously pick up on that. Then you can have that time set aside, and then you can be doing whatever else you need to be doing to just kind of eat up the time in between in case you don't get any texts or you only have one conversation for 20 minutes. The other thing is set a limit on those interactions. What I mean by that is how many times are you going to go back and forth? People are going to have questions. They're going to inquire about stuff, however they're communicating. Don't tie up all your time with that, even if you've dedicated an hour and a half on a day to answer texts. How much time are you going to spend with that customer? I put a time limit on it regardless of how quick they respond, and I put how many times the messages are going to go back and forth. I would tell you that if you're going back and forth like five times, that'd be a lot in general conversation on texting. If you're sending sentences or paragraph, if it's quick little banter, like in a regular conversation with a friend, obviously it could go a lot more, but five is probably a lot, but you have to balance it out based on communication you already had. So that when you hit that limit of how many times you've gone back and forth or when your time is up, that you have a pre-planned response that doesn't sound canned, but is a professional response on what to do further. In order to help you further, assist you further, please use this email and well, we can continue the conversation there. Or I need time to research this. Explain to them why you need time as long as it's legitimate, makes sense, and is true. And then get them to communicate in that method. Because what will happen is if you get sucked into the texting or whatever, it can just keep going and keep going and keep going. And I'm sure you've seen that with many conversations and people, how they can just keep you sucked in. It's hard to walk away from those. It's much harder through texting because here's the thing. As impersonal as texting is, we take the messages personally. So in the same way that a person takes certain messages, misunderstands them and may take it negatively, which will happen the majority of the time through text compared to any other form of communication. Any person in a situation where they realize it or not, that is the respondent feels like they owe them something which in this case would be used the business owner, can't find it difficult to walk away from that situation, even though it's just a phone you could shut off. And you don't want to be put in that situation. So if they try to keep in that conversation, you say, you know, hey, I, however you want to say it, but basically, I hear what you're saying, but send them the message again. You need to reach out to me in this method. Because you could find yourself eating up that whole hour and a half getting nowhere, which will happen a lot, and not being able to communicate to other people. And you want to bounce that time frame not only on how many minutes and how many messages back and forth am I going to stick to somebody, what's the response I'm going to give them to force them into a better form of communication that I need time to do something. Because if you can't solve their problem in 10 minutes, it, you probably need more time beyond just the texting, generally speaking. You come up with your own number. The other thing is even though you're scheduling time, for dedicating texting, you're scheduling time for those individuals and leaving room for other people. It doesn't matter that nobody else hasn't texted you yet today. What matters is, is you schedule that time for all your customers to be able to do that, assuming you do it this way, just as an example, and you leave that available to them. Don't try to shut a conversation down because somebody else wants to talk to you. Have your limits set in place, put those controls in those boundaries and understand how that works and communicate it to people. You can, you don't have to, but you can tell them texting conversations will not exceed five messages in 10 minutes. I wouldn't do that. That's going to sound aggressive. I would just have it as your own plan and follow it 
over time, people that text you a lot, they will actually subconsciously pick up on that. And you'll train them to kind of follow those guidelines. It may take a little while, but you'll see people start to get trained on that and realize what's going on. Another thing we do, I've talked about this with debriefing, but I've done this with interrogations and running sources. When we meet people and we find out who they are, and especially with debriefing targets, we already know who they are. We already know what their profession is. We've seen literature, products they've created. If they've done so, we've gone and listened to them give a lecture. We've met with them in person. We get to see how they communicate how they communicate in a general setting and how they communicate in that setting with you. Best to your ability, one of the things you want to do is speak to that individual as an individual, which means you want to speak and communicate on their level. So one of the problems with texting is it leaves little to no room for things like dialect or methods of communication. When somebody speaks in a lot of incomplete words and slang, like, hey, bro, you're going to ask me something, and please don't send me a message saying that's racist. I know people of all kinds of races that speak that, even Mexicans like me. I'm half Mexican. They also use a lot of terminology and things that may not be acceptable. You don't have to go to that level up or down in communication, but you do want to be on the same page. So if they're a lot more casual, you want to be more casual. If they're a lot more professional. You want to mirror that. It's just like mirroring in person, mimicking their body language. You're mimicking not really mimicking is not the right word. You're mirroring their body language. So by doing that through text, you're mirroring their verbal language that they're choosing to communicate in written form the best way you can possible in order to speak on their level. People may send you emojis and stuff. Don't ever do it. The second you send something like that, it's a character. I know people use it in regular conversation, but the second you do that, it's unprofessional. When you do that, you open the door for all kinds of stuff. All kinds of emojis thrown in text, all kinds of LOLs and all kinds of acronyms. Don't use any of those. Use words. If that's how they're choosing to communicate, interpret it if you can. But don't speak on their level by following those same patterns because those are bad habits in this type of communication. Remember, we're talking professional communication here. The thing is, even if you understand everything they're doing, if you don't like it or if you don't understand it, you need to have a standard sentence of like, I don't understand those acronyms. Can you? You know, please spell out the words. They can say or do whatever they want, but you're training them to communicate more professionally, to get their message across more clearly and succinctly. And whether they realize it or not, they're starting to get the idea that we don't all communicate the same way all the time. When I was in the South earlier this year, there was plenty of people. I didn't always understand what they're saying. It had nothing to do with dialect, had nothing to do with terminology had nothing to do with race none of that stuff it had to do with local slang terms and the culture and names of places that i wasn't sure if were real names or slang that i didn't understand that's the same idea as using emojis and all these crazy acronyms people have created let me explain to you how big of a problem this is in the intelligence community where we trained human intelligence in the army a few years ago it's still a problem but a few years ago there was just this changeover in time where we started bringing in a new generation of people that had grown up around this technology and never known life without it. And when they were writing professional intelligence reports, the bulk of the work in most of those fields, they were writing papers, professional papers, paragraphs. There's all kinds of formatting. It doesn't get much more professional. I don't think it gets more professional than that. And in their writing, they were using acronyms and slang phrases that you only find in texts. You might see an LOL in an email, but typically you don't see that anywhere, let alone somebody say LOL to you. 
you would just actually laugh. They were putting that in there and it was a huge problem. So you have to, at best your ability, squash that and set your limits and just realize that the majority of the limits controls you set in, you're going to have to train people how to do it. I wouldn't just outright tell them that's what the rules are, but you got to figure out are there ones where you need to communicate them and how you need to do it. And if you're going to do that and set up options, I would have a, if you have a website, some sort of messaging center with communication guidelines, short and simple. You can text me at this number and please, I would, you can do whatever you want, but hopefully you're not using your real phone number. Hopefully you've got a business phone or you got at least as bad as they are, a Google account number, some other free phone number that wires to your phone, but a business phone would be better. If you're going to text, you can text between these hours on these days and I should be able to respond. You can send an email at any time. If you want to call me, direct me. Here's the time. Same thing with phone calls. It sounds like you're doing this on your own. Here's the time phrase in which I can answer phone calls. People understand you're a one-woman operation. You don't have a lot of time. You're still building, creating stuff. You still have to deal with customers. You're dealing with new customers. You're solving issues, creating products for people. But you might be the only person doing the show so they can see that you have dedicated times for each form of communication. There's nothing wrong with doing that. I don't know why more people don't. But it puts you in a position now where you have to schedule your time more efficiently, which is something that needs to be looked at because I've been actually kind of working this backwards if you haven't seen it in order to have an efficient plan of action on how you're going to approach each day. So in the same way that you may say, I'm going to work this many hours today, which if you're not doing that, you should, even if it's 14 hours, because if you're just working to kill yourself, you got to have scheduled breaks and stuff in there for your mental health, but that's a whole other conversation. In the same way, you want to schedule it out a little bit, I'd say a little bit more strictly than your regular day. So if your regular day is, Look, I do what I need to do in a day. I make a lot of progress. I don't have a strict schedule, but I usually start working around 7 in the morning, and I'm usually done about 6 at night, give or take. Some days change. You need to be a little more strict in your scheduling of communications. If you're like, I can tell you right now, on these days, I work for these hours, no matter how much I get done. Here's my hour-by-hour schedule. Here's my lunch. Here's my break. I'm treating it as though I'm running a corporation with you know, 200 employees then you need to go a little bit stricter above that on how you're going to set out this communication. Reason why is communication is the most important thing. It's the one thing we all do, even if we're not talking, that we do more than anything else except breathing, that we're never trained or taught how to do. So it's now on you to train people, your customers, on how to communicate with you effectively. The problem we get into as business owners is thinking we owe our customers things. We only owe them things when we make them promises, and you should never make promises you can't keep and you can't fit into your schedule. And if you are not 100% sure, you don't make that promise. Or you can just say, I, I need to check something. Give me a second, I'm going to look at my date book. Or I'm going to have to get back to you. I, I can't guarantee I can do that. And you have to be okay with saying no. If you can't do those things, you're going to run into problems as business grows. But as business owners, that's one of the early things people run into. you got to be able to say no. you got to realize you don't owe people nothing. You are there following your passion and desire to create things, sell things, provide products and services. That's what you're doing. You had goals, you had plans, you had a vision, you've got a mission, you've got all these things, right? Okay, nowhere in there did somebody else come along as a customer to tell you how to be better at that. You can learn that from them as you're going and and hear their input and maybe it works for you, maybe it doesn't. But this is a situation where it's okay to be selfish and say it is all about you. Right now it's all about you and how you choose to run this. Okay, customers will come, customers will go, That's true with big companies like Amazon and Tesla, and that's true with small companies just like yours. 
So don't get caught up in the idea that you owe them something. Early on, set up those controls, those boundaries, those rules for not only yourself, but also for your clients. Now, the reason this builds rapport is no different than speaking to them at their level and speaking to them using their name. You're teaching them respect. You're teaching them the rules. And you are treating them the same way. You always will treat them the way in which you want to be treated professionally. If you fail to do that, you will see it come back. Remember that even if you know these people, it's the professional environment. You have to treat it differently. If you're communicating to every customer the same way, you're probably doing something wrong because I seriously doubt they're all communicating to you the same way as though those texts look like they could have all came from the same person. That's possible. It could exist, but I doubt it. If you're communicating to them in the same way you communicate in friends and family, you're probably doing something wrong unless you only have a handful of customers. They all communicate the exact same way where it looks like the same person. And if you line those texts up with friends and family and put them all on one page, any reasonable person read that and go, oh yeah, these clearly look like they all came from the same person. If you don't think that's reality and they couldn't do that, then you should not be communicating to them all in the same way. This is part of not only teaching things like respect and rules, which helps build rapport, showing that you are the person that needs to be listened to in the situation. But what it also does beyond just teaching them things is go back towards that individuality. You are an individual person. I am communicating to you as an individual person in the way in which you communicate to me, as long as it's not disrespectful. They can see and identify that they are treated as an individual. Most of the communications I've ever seen, verbal, written in emails and text, where people walk away saying they were disrespected, it wasn't just that they didn't get what they wanted, which is almost all the time. It's how they were talked to. And a lot of times they were talked to completely professionally and appropriately, but not on the same level in which they were communicating. That's usually the real reason. Most of the time when people walk away and have something positive to say about a customer service situation, almost all of those are because there was a failure in service and they had to go to customer service. A lot of times customer service couldn't help them. Didn't even throw them a free little coupon or nothing. But it was the way in which they communicated to them that left that person feeling as though they had been treated correctly and like a normal person and therefore gave a positive review for them doing the best they can. I've seen reviews, you probably have too, where somebody's like, yep, here's the issue. I called them. They still told me no, but they explained it to me this way. I totally get it. I wish it could be this way. Maybe they'll do that in the future. But this interaction was awesome. Essentially what they say, it all comes down to how people are talked to. Another thing is talking about detecting deception. While I've talked about it a lot in written form, a lot of the things about communication verbally where I've talked about deception do translate to the written form. Re-listen to those again, or at least pick out a few, two or three that you've seen a handful of times and either write them down or keep them in mind so you can look for forms of deception. This way you can handle and navigate those conversations better. So when somebody is sending you a question or a problem, because typically this will come up in either negative situations where they feel they've been wronged or a manipulative situation where they're trying to get you to do something they damn well know you're not going to do. You can identify those and realize what's happening so that you can navigate that conversation professionally and you can actually shut them down before they even open that door because you can see it coming. I do to people all the time and you can do it nicely and professionally. And a lot of times it's just by discussing alternative methods. Sometimes it's bringing up something else. Sometimes it's just telling them that conversation's over by like, I think that's pretty much settled. There's nothing we can do there, so that's settled. Let's go on to your next thing. You brought up this. How can I help you with this? There's nothing wrong with doing that. 
people might want to stay on that subject, but they should be willing to accept that nothing can be done. Let's move on to disagreement number two that I brought up. And maybe you can help me with that. If they can't do that and they start to get angry and go back to number one, most of the time you were never going to win that anyway. You were never going to get them what they wanted. They were only there for their option was the only way. They believe that works. Nobody's told them no before, or it's always worked before both. Then you can get out of the conversation completely and address nothing else. Yeah, you'll get a negative review probably, but most people have negative situations don't leave negative reviews. Most people have positive situations don't leave positive reviews. But don't let that control you. Part of building rapport is realizing that not only you're in control, but not letting the other person fear you or be in fear of you, create fear for you, or to try to control you with what they can do. In this case, it would be public information, getting you canceled per se, or reviews. If you're doing your job or customer service or any of these aspects solely about the idea of getting a review or begging for reviews, right? Leave something out there publicly. This is how you give a review. You know, just tell us about your interactions, how we helped you out, what might be better for people in the future that will really help us out. You're asking for their assistance. If you're throwing on every text, hey, don't forget to give me a review. It just sounds like begging. People don't like it. So you definitely want to avoid that. But the big thing is you should not be doing all these things just because of what that review may be or hopefully could be. That's the wrong way to do it. If you are doing any of this about the review, then you're definitely not building rapport. You're on defensive mode. You're not engaging with that person properly. You're not gaining them as an ally. And you're not using the situation to your advantage to maintain a customer. You're not looking at them as an individual. You're focused on yourself. So that's another thing about building rapport no matter how we do it. The focus on yourself comes in the planning stages before we go and do whatever it is we're going to do. So my case was an operation. In your case, it might be just a text conversation. It might be this new product development you're doing. Okay, once we're in the conversation, we're not focused on self anymore. Okay, we've addressed that pre-gaming this, whether it was a three-day PowerPoint strategy session or two minutes in the bathroom before we made the phone call. Then you're focused on the customer, which means you don't care about reviews because that's focusing on you. So you always want to focus on them and what they believe they need. People will say focus on their needs. No, don't focus on people's needs. Here's why. We all have an idea of what other people need, and we have an idea of what we need, which means those two things aren't going to line up. You want to clearly identify what it is they're looking for. What is it that they need? Is it a need or a want? And whether or not it's a need or want, can you even do it? Ah, that's a great idea, but we can't do that. Again, going back to saying no. But you identify what those things are and then address them. Because you're, again, building rapport by validating their feelings. Or in this situation, you don't want to validate feelings in written forms, especially texting. You want to validate their issue, their complaint. And here's why I keep focusing on the negative. Nobody thinks about this in the positive because it's not an issue. You're probably already doing things right or it's already a positive situation. So this matters little, but you can apply it there. And maybe it's just for situations, neither positive or negative is regular communication, but you want to validate what's going on. I understand. Here's what you're doing. So when somebody says to you, hey, I got this situation I want to talk about, and then you're sitting down with them and you say, let me make sure I understand you correctly. Are you saying this? We don't want to do that in texting. You can do it, but it's dangerous. And best you want to say, all right, you know, they just gave you five sentences on their issue with return process. 
If you think about the bad chat box or the people that aren't that great on it in places like Amazon there, okay, you want to talk about return. You want to do that, but a little more personable. All right. So with the return process, your issue is, you know, this restocking fee. Here's why we have that. So you want to address it right away. It's not to say that you will or will not do that. You're just telling them, here's why this policy is in place. As an example, you're explaining to them why this is happening. The reason this is important, and most of the time when customers deal with businesses, if they're shopping around and looking to buy something the first timer, there's usually not a lot of issues there. You have what you want or they don't, you try to work with them. Most of the issues are going to come from repeat customers. Or somebody that haven't pulled the trigger yet is clearly putting a lot of planning into this, overthinking it, or maybe isn't even going to pull the trigger at all. So with the majority of the rest of them, a lot of it, what they're really wanting to hear what they're really wanting to understand, not just here, but what they're wanting to understand is why. Why did this happen? This product was late. They can say it however they want it. If the root cause is the product was late, don't repeat back to them like you're sitting in front of them. Okay, let me see if I understand what you're saying. And you're trying to validate their feelings. Do never validate feelings. I don't care if it's a woman who that works better with. Never on a text. You're like, all right, the reason your product was late here's what happened. You don't want to make excuses and you don't want to give them a laundry list of all the things you're doing. But if there's a way that you could have been responsible, admit that right off. Here's why your product was late. There was a fucking hurricane. May not have been that, but it'd be like, here's why your product was late. I improperly scheduled some things and this happened, blah, 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 blah. You know, maybe there's a family emergency or something, but you have to be careful with those things. You want to make sure those things you only use when they're real because it becomes real easy for anything we make up that sounds good that once it works to do it again and then not realize we've done it 25 times until it gets thrown back in our face. So you want to stick with real reasons, which means that there's nothing standing out that's obvious, like the hurricane, for example, you know, some big, crazy traumatic event, family issues. Then we want to look at, did we fail? Because if we failed and we admitted and show what corrections we're making and how we're addressing it to solve their problem, it's telling them, here's why it happened. So now you understand that. Here's what I'm doing about it. And I apologize. Some people won't accept that, but that will build more rapport with most people most of the time. Admitting your mistakes. I see all kinds of people out there, big businesses and whatever. They never do that. Have no idea how big they could be because in their own narcissistic arrogance, they're ignoring their own failures and not addressing them. Don't be that person. So part of building rapport, especially in that form, if you look at how I've been explaining these communication methods, we're being concise. That's short, clear statements to the point. We don't talk about feelings. We don't talk about their feelings. And they say, well, here's how I feel. That's fine. You feel bad. Whatever word we're using for bad. Don't address that. Address the issue. That will make them feel good. Oh, I feel better knowing that. See, you don't have to address feelings. They'll do it for you. So those are my tips. Definitely a lot more you can read. But to sum it up, some of the key points here. One, for everybody out there, do not use texting as a primary. Use other methods. If you're going to use it, if you feel like you're forced to, make sure you actually are forced. You don't owe people anything. This is your business. You choose how to run your business and your company. Number two, if you're going to use this method or any other, make sure you have clear understandings and ways and opportunities for people to take those options up. 
that the rules of what you're following you not only stick to, but they're a little stricter than how you manage the rest of your day-to-day time. And as you increase the consistency of that scheduling of your day-to-day time, then you add a little more strict rules to your communication methods. Treat people as humans. Don't use canned responses. Be clear and concise and short and to the point. Speak to their level, but don't try to fake the funk, meaning don't try to turn into a PhD if you're not one and try to communicate. They'll see right through it. Don't try to turn into somebody that grew on the streets when you didn't because they'll see right through it. Just be generally more in their direction called mirroring as much as you can. Don't match them. Just kind of mirror them a little bit. Make sure that with your scheduled time as much as possible, you're spell checking this stuff and don't screw that up. Make sure we're using first names and addressing them. Oh, hey, Bob, how you doing? Thanks for reaching out to me. You know, you don't have to say thanks all the time or only say thanks when they do it inside of the window. So let's say they text you a half hour early and you want to stick to that. Hey, Bob, I got your message. Just to let you know I respond to these from these time frames, however you want to do that. But always use the first names. Set boundaries. They'll learn them. They'll learn respect over in the rules. They'll realize they don't run your business. You do. Admit mistakes and failures. Don't talk about feelings. Don't acknowledge feelings. Acknowledge issues. When you can hear somebody's voice, it's okay and actually preferred in some situation to acknowledge feelings, although issues shouldn't be avoided in those situations. But in text, no matter who the person is, Don't acknowledge feelings, acknowledge issues. That's really what they're there for. People aren't calling you to feel better. They're calling you to have a problem solved. That's what you need to address. Don't be afraid to say no. Don't be afraid to schedule time for later. If you schedule time, literally schedule it and make sure you don't miss it. That way you're following through with keeping your word. Try your best not to make promises without sounding like you're dodging stuff. It's okay to do that sometimes, but you want to be careful of that because what happens if 30 people start texting you one day, you make 30 promises, and you're going to do them all tomorrow. Ruh-roh. What else did you have scheduled tomorrow? So you want to be careful with the promises. Also, to show they have personal value, you need to take interest in them as a person. If they happen to mention something to you that's personal, you know, I know we had this meeting over this product. I need to push that for two weeks if I can. We had to change our tickets and we have this family vacation to Hawaii coming up. No problem when they come back. Hey, I'm glad to hear from you. Or by now you said you'd be back. Let's say it's after the fact. Hey, you said you'd be back. Or maybe it's when you're talking to him. Hey, you're back now. Want to make sure we're still good for this meeting. You know, if you choose to do that. But then when you're actually communicating with them, hey, I hope your trip went really well and you guys had a great time in Hawaii. Mention that without getting into the conversation. If they want to list off five things they did, don't ask any more questions. You acknowledge that you remembered something about them. If they chose to turn that into a conversation, don't go along with it. Go back and stick to your focus of what the conversation is for. All right, so for this meeting, here's what we're addressing. Whatever, However you're doing, I know you're not going to talk that way in a text, but you understand what I'm saying. So those are the real key important things. Here's the funny thing. You're using a lot of basic, simple stuff we would use in person. I get not being able to read body language. Don't worry about that. As much stuff as you may have learned from this or from other places, most people can't do that on the fly all the time. It takes a lot of focus and intention. And I can tell you right now, most people, even guys that are really good at it, could not effectively provide customer service if they're staring a customer in the face and trying to read their body language. It just doesn't come that naturally. That's why I say most of it's a gut feeling. But that doesn't mean your gut feeling is always right. That's why every example I've used of going with your gut has always been in a survival situation. So don't worry about that too much. 
I'm glad you enjoy the show. I did get your other messages. I'll be addressing those in the future. I do hope this helps you out. If you have any more questions, please let me know. If anybody else has their questions, please let me know. And if you have any tips or ideas for Sarah or anybody out there on how to build rapport through texting or how to avoid killing rapport through texting and things that you've learned, please share them. Send me a message. Send me an email. Send another voice recording. Or if you're on Spotify, check the questions below and maybe you can respond there and I can share it on the show.